Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression, and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabriel Hakoen, and I am so happy to be here with all of you today. And I'm happy to be here with my co-host today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm Sadie Carpenter, and it's been a minute since I got to introduce myself at the top of the show. I think we've had some some right. big topics. Yeah, we've had some that were so big that we just kind of jumped in. Um, that last episode, the the Rodriguez episode, we fit so much in. And we've still got like half of her behavior. No, that's true. I was in the Facebook group and people were like, wait, you didn't talk about this thing. And I'm just like, wait, what? I have never heard about that. And you're like, oh my God. Well, yeah. And we just didn't have time. Um, That episode, it went so quickly. I felt like we were both on Plexus. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, got him. Glad you like that. Yeah. Uh, today though, we are back. We're talking about regular IFB stuff. We've got another one of those topics that we've been wanting to tackle for a while. I'm so glad that we decided to do it this week. Uh, and this is also one of those, uh, low key personal journey stories from Sadie that I love so much that, uh, we know that all of you love so much as well. Would you like to tell the fine people what we are talking about 
this week? Yeah, we've we've just had so much with like true crime and uh, profile episodes, scientific episodes. It's been a while since we did a straight up topical episode, and I wanted to do that. And this is something that we've danced around on the show. We've mentioned parts of this, but I think we need to do a whole episode on it. I'm sure you remember from the first family episodes, me talking about the line to get counseling at Jack Kyle's office being dozens of people long or even hundreds of people long. And this is just to ask the pastor for advice for like two minutes. Yeah. And I think you asked me at the time for more details about counseling and what all of that entails. And I just did not have time in those episodes, obviously, to get to it. But now I do have time and I want to dig into the topic of of counseling and what that is and what that means. Right. Because Jack Hiles would make a claim like he's like, I counsel 4,000 people or I don't know how many people he was claiming he to said, counsel. Yeah. So, so my gut says he said 10,000 a year, but I'm not... That's that's just what I think I remember. I don't know for sure. And so I'm like, wow, that is a lot of people. That is like 30 people every day or something. Is that right, numbers-wise? Sounds yeah. right. 30 people, yeah. like 30 times 365, that's about 10,000. Like, that's literally yeah. 30 people a day. I'm like, how would you have time for anything else? And I was like, what is this that he's talking about? And you're like, no, it's like two minutes. It's yeah. like you line up, go, go in for two minutes. Anyway, this is going to be a really interesting episode. I'm excited to talk about. Before we get into that... The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast. It is about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults sometimes. We talk about religion in general, and we talk about fundamentalist ideologies and the real and present danger that they pose to society as a whole. And we seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, you can do a couple things. You can join our Facebook group, which is called Eden Exodus. Uh, the Facebook group has been super fun the past couple of days. Yeah, it's kind of, it's so, oh, are we, do we want to tell people what we're doing in there? Yeah. Okay. So on the end of the Rodriguez episode, uh, I was talking about, you know, what is, where do we draw the line on, on when it's appropriate to snark on children uh, who happen to be children of famous fundamentalists? And my conclusion on the whole thing is let's just snark on people who want to be snarked on. I'll post a bunch of old pictures of myself back in my fun day days and y'all go ham. Just make fun of me because I am consenting to this. And, you know, I'm already out and this isn't, you know, this is maybe a little bit healthier than snarking on people who are currently children who don't have a choice. And little did we know that literally everybody just started being like, these are the old pictures of me. Look at this culotte I'm wearing. I didn't know what a culotte was. I had to Google oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. I think I still have a pair, and I'm going to oh, pull them out. Great Halloween costume. Uh, dress up as a funny. Get to you. I mean, I'm, I'm going to make you wear them. Because <laughs> okay. you can wear like a 30 waist, right? 32. Okay. Yeah, I think these they're elastic waist, but I think I was like a like I would have been like around a twenty eight to twenty nine waist when I was a teenager uh, and wore these. On me. They're elastic. Uh. They'll, they'll fit you. I just think it would be the funniest thing. Anyway, everybody is posting their old fundy pictures for each other to make fun of. And then <laughs> yeah. people are somewhat making fun of them, but most people are just like, Oh, you were really cute. I'm glad you got out. Yeah, that's like it, it. We thought it was going to be like snarky, but it turned out it's just like really positive, really fun. Because our listeners are just really sweet and nice people. So that has just been the biggest party in the Facebook group and it's been really fun. So you can go into the group, join it at facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Oh, there's also a picture of me um, 
at like 18 on there posing with a Disney princess looking insanely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that was that was fun. Because because you didn't know you were bi yet. No, I had no idea. And I was just like, this 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 is weird. This is strange. I don't understand why this is weird and strange. Oh God, she's trying to put her arm around my shoulders for this picture. And I'm like, f- just freaking out. Yeah, you're just like, there, just like standing very out. straight. I have no idea why I'm freaking out. I want to say uh, thank you to everybody who has joined our Patreon. You can join our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored uh, episodes of this show which is great. A lot of people are doing that. We have new tiers. Uh, pretty soon we're going to do a video call with our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, all four of them. We have four of them now. We uh, have four now? Yeah, we have four oh, now. Awesome. I want, I'm going to thank them all. Like It's like every week we get a new one. Um, but we have four of them. I want to thank them on this show. Uh, Didi Capel, Kathleen Moncrief, or Moncrief, I don't know. It's she, said gen- it, she said on the Facebook group. It's Scottish, not French. It's Moncrief. Really? Okay. It looks French. Yeah, that's what she said if you read on the Facebook group. (laughs) Okay. Well, I didn't read that one. Okay. Well, Jessica, whose last name is definitely French, Jessica Tombeau, if you have an X at the end of your name, it's French, 100%. And our newest Faith Promise Missions tier patron, M. Frightener Heil. Is it Heil or Heel? I don't know. Either way, it's a great name. Thank your parents for that one. I would like to invite you to join the band that Sadie and <laughs> Jonathan and I have now. We need a bass player or a drummer. I would absolutely love to introduce. And on the bass guitar, M. The Frightener. Heil. That's metal as fuck. That's a great name. That is, yeah, that is extremely metal. Maybe they play um, uh, bass or, or what else? We need drums. Yeah, we need bass and we need drums. Got to keep this thing going because we got to get into our topic. We got to get this stuff out of the way. What topic? At the moment right now, at this moment right now, we are the number 31 documentary podcast in the United States. Yes, I know. I'm going to like... Chuck is like, what did Chuck have to say about that? Was she excited or was she not excited? Oh, she just tried to stand up out of the rap, which didn't go great for her. She was trying to stand up and celebrate with us about yes. being number 31 documentary podcast in the United States. Holy crap. We would love to be top 25. So if you guys want to help us do that, make sure you recommend our podcast, your friends, your family, your coworkers, people you hate. We don't care as long as they listen to our show. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. That is a for free thing that you can do to help and support our show. Okay. Oh, also, if, one last thing. If you are offering tier or higher on our Patreon, check your Patreon inbox. I sent you all a message asking for homework suggestions. I've only heard back from like three of you. You can suggest a homework, suggest a reverse homework. And when we do another episode, I hope for the next one to be a listener suggested one. So that would be one that's really fun. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get to the topic. Counseling. What is it? Where does it come from? How does it work? Before I jump right in, I want to give people a little additional heads up. Of course, we're going to be discussing in a general way mental health. We are going to talk about some of the truly awful ways that the IFB treats people who need mental health help. We're not going to be going into a lot of detail, but it is going to come up. Uh, I'm going to say some of the triggering and obnoxious and terrible things that that an IFB person might say to someone who needs mental health help. Uh, Also going to be talking about my own mental health history, again, in like a pretty general way. 
But just a, just a heads up, a, a be aware content warning on this one. All right. But let's get into counseling. What's counseling? Counseling is a big topic. And the reason it's so big is that it's the IFB's answer to a lot of questions. Counseling in the IFB doesn't just replace mental health services or therapy or marriage counseling. It replaces those things, but it also replaces having a financial advisor. Sometimes it can replace legal advice. Sometimes it can even replace doctor's appointments. Wow. Really? So this is essentially, I have X problem in my life. Let me ask my pastor about it. Yeah. And I believe that this is a point of hypocrisy within the IFB, which of course is, is a, it's a big surprise. How so? One of the IFB's favorite things to criticize Catholics about is to say that Catholics worship their priest or that they make the priest the mediator between God and the church member, which is a half truth and not really a truth. Catholics um, see the priest as the hands and feet of God on earth. Not that he becomes a god, which is what the IFB is alleging, but that he is a spokesperson of God. God is using a priest in physical form to do spiritual work. That's kind of nitpicky, but the IFB will get all up in that about how I don't need a mediator between me and God. I stand before God individually. But then their answer to every question in life is to go ask their pastor. The idea Mm. is that the pastor, because of his God-given position of authority, has special wisdom from God. So if you ask a question... The pastor is more qualified to answer it than a medical professional or a lawyer or someone else who has a professional career in the topic of your question because of the authority that the pastor is given by God. So with regards to counseling, is there this idea that the Bible contains the solution to every problem you could have, and the pastor is the one who knows the Bible best. So by asking him what to do will automatically get you the most biblical answer? Or or is it not always the pastor who you go to? I don't know. Is that sort of the idea? That's part of it, but that's not the main part. Um, To answer your question first, a counselor can be anyone in authority over you. So a pastor, an assistant pastor, your youth pastor if you're a teenager, a professor at a Bible college, anyone who has been placed, quote unquote, by God in a position over you. And if you're a woman, you can get counseling as well from any of those people's wives. I think the root of it is not like the the concept that the Bible has every answer and you just have to find it is part of this. But I think a much larger part of it is that God chooses individually who is in authority over you. This is this is a a Gothard thing that Gothard really leans into the authority principle. God individually chooses who is in authority over you, and God, through the Holy Spirit, will speak to them and give them the correct answer for you. And it's all about following your authority and like blind obedience to the people that God has placed in authority over you. So it's more direct than getting answers from the Bible. It's more like getting answers directly from God. And the authority figures are going to get the answers from God because the authority position that God has put them in, regardless of their personal qualifications or even if they are a righteous or a good person themselves, the authority position qualifies them to have the Holy Spirit speak through them in a special way to give you the correct answer. So even um, the, the idea is that even if you went to somebody like Dave Hiles and asked him for marriage advice, that <laughs> regardless of how not smart that is to do, um, the Holy Spirit would speak through him because of his God-given position of authority uh, if he was your assistant pastor, if he was, God forbid, your pastor. So, mm. so even though he 
allegedly is an extremely wicked man, the Holy Spirit could still speak through him to give you the correct answer and you would still get blessed for following authority. It's all about the position that that person holds and your willingness to submit to authority. Wow. That just seems like the whole, th- the exact same thing that they're accusing the Catholics of, but with extra steps. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but but also like the, uh, a good priest yeah. wouldn't be making medical decisions for you or telling you what house to buy. I, I remember you told me this. You're like, I asked my priest what uh, I have to say about, evo- what he has to say about evolution. And he's like, ask a scientist. You know, the church officially endorses both creation and evolution. Hang on, I'm going to do my priest. <clears throat> the church officially endorses both <clears throat> creation and evolution, uh, as long as you believe that God did it. So, uh, you know, uh, why don't you get a science textbook? Interesting. Okay. So he's just like, don't, don't ask me basically. Uh, so no, it, his, his, his vibe was more like, I'm not going to tell you what I personally believe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I recall though, we were talking about Tom Kimmel back in the true crime episode we did a few months back about how the guy who was your personal finance teacher was running a Ponzi scheme right, right. Uh, with church people's money that he would get in good with the pastors and give them kickbacks to manipulate this power that they have in order to divert congregation savings into his own Ponzi scheme and to line his own pockets. Right. This concept of of authority, it gives a bad pastor the ability to manipulate the entire congregation for his own gain or his own agenda or to lead them astray based on his own bias. And I feel like that's pretty obvious. But what might not be as obvious is that if you've got a good pastor with a good heart, and there are, there are good pastors with good good hearts who are part of the IFB, my opinion is that they're misguided and wrong, but I'm my opinion is not that, that every IFB pastor is bad. A lot of them are, but a lot of them aren't. Anyway, if you've got one of those good pastors who really tries to do what he thinks God is telling him to do, and that's what he's going to tell you to do, you're going to be better off. But the system that enables a pastor with bad intentions to control and manipulate others gives a good pastor with good intentions the temptation to control others, to operate within his own agenda. So in the case of of Tom Kimmel, uh, who was running a Ponzi scheme and like funneling all of it through IFB pastors, a bad pastor looks at that and says, oh, Kimmel's going to give me a kickback on however much people in my church invest. Uh, That's a good way to line my own pocket. A good pastor, though, might look at the same Ponzi scheme and he's going to think, well, Kimmel is endorsed by IFB leaders. That that makes this seem legit. The good pastor might not have any financial education at all. He has probably never been trained on how to recognize a Ponzi scheme. Jack Scott was probably his Bible teacher at Hiles Anderson. So even a good pastor is conditioned to respect and follow Jack Scott. And Jack Scott's endorsing Kimmel. So while a bad pastor might be opportunistic about this, a good pastor is just going to overlook the fact that it seems sketchy, and he's going to justify the financial kickbacks that he's getting from Tom Kimmel as, God is blessing me for following authority. So regardless of whether you have a good pastor or a bad pastor, the outcome is the same. He endorses a Ponzi scheme, and you get taken for everything you have. So you could go to your pastor and say, we're having trouble making sure that we're able to budget for the coming few months, you know, making sure that we could pay our mortgage, making sure that we can, you know, have enough to feed our whole family. And he's going to be like, well, go to this guy who's running a Ponzi 
scheme because either he doesn't know or he's like taking a kickback. And the other thing that the pastor is just going to tell you is, oh, well, you should give extra money to the church because God will give you extra money if you do that. Which is prosperity gospel. Yeah. And also just not super mathematically sound. And then... um. And then, like like I've talked about before, people find a way. In, in general, a lot of times people are able to just to just like pull something together and find a way to get out of a one time financial tough spot. And you pull it together and you find a way after you've given like half of your mortgage payment to the church, and the pastor told you that God will bless you. You find a way to pull it together and like get yourself out of like a one time like this one time like bad spot between job whatever's going on. And um, then you say that God did it for you. And then you're like more. And then the next time you're in financial trouble, you're like, oh, yeah, last time I gave half my mortgage payment to the church and it totally worked. So this is like this is these things all kind of like run together in like a cycle of brainwashing. And I want to I wanted to to dig into that cycle a little bit because the idea of giving the pastor authority in everything is one of my largest problems with the IFB. So instead of trying to tell you how it works, I wanted to show you how it can corrupt even a pastor who isn't necessarily starting out as as self-serving. And it could lead even a good man to make bad decisions. So you've mentioned before that you have been through this process. Oh, counseling, yeah. Counseling with God. So I assume, has every IFB person had, like, at some point been through counseling in their life? I would be really surprised to find out that anyone associated with the IFB hasn't been through counseling, except for people who got out maybe before age 12 or so. Why age 12? Oh, age 12 is when most people transition from the children's ministry to the youth group. Uh, Some churches, it's 11 or 13, or when you go into sixth grade or the day you finish sixth grade. There are different church-related rules and regulations, but I think age 12 is the most common time. So this is when you'd have a youth pastor for the first time. So this is the first opportunity that most people would have to seek counseling because this is the first time like you've had a person in authority over you, but like specifically placed in authority over you, the youth pastor. So as a teenager, if you have an issue, you'd most likely go to your youth pastor or school principal first. And then if your issues are too big for that guy, he'd take you up to the pastor's office and you'd get to deal with the pastor. This is like bar mitzvah age. Yeah. Basically. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So that's like you're, you're, okay. You're not a child anymore. You're, you're growing, you're becoming, yeah, yet. you're becoming an adult part of this congregation. Great. Okay. That ma- that makes perfect sense. So as far as my own counseling experience, I have a whole lot of it. Um, so throughout <laughs> high school, um, yeah. Laughing at you being a weirdo. No. Um, Couldn't fit in with the IFB, weirdo. That's why we're here. (laughs) Yes, that that is why. That's why I host the number 31 documentary podcast in America. Hey. Okay, on to depression. Yikes. Smooth transition there. (laughs) On to depression, and then we laugh. (laughs) I think our listeners expect this at this point. Yeah. We love you. I also got like I also I told you off mic, but I got like no sleep last night. So yeah, running on fumes here. So throughout high school, I had what much much later, like a decade later, got diagnosed as moderate long term depression. Pe- people who I you know doctors, psychiatrists who I saw later in life think that I would have been considered clinically depressed by the time I was uh, twelve or thirteen. But I was seeing. The early signs of that starting to creep in as young as 10 or 11. So by the time I got to high school, I had been depressed for almost half of my life, which was definitely weighing on me. And I was seeing a lot of 
impact to my daily life. And a lot of children um, and teenagers with depression, they just aren't getting diagnosed anyway. So like if you're in the IFB, there is a 0% chance that you're going to get any real help with that anyway. You know, outside the IFB, that's an issue I hope will get attention and, and continue to improve. Um, is, is mental health for people who are not in crisis, <laughs> mental health for people who are teenagers and can get help at that age and then not end up in a, in a severe crisis as an adult. You know, treating something before it's an emergency is always a great idea. I definitely wasn't diagnosed until my 20s, but at a very young age, I was having symptoms of depression and anxiety, and I was just really having a tough time. So since my dad was my pastor, I didn't want to go talk to my dad, obviously. I don't think like I don't think your dad was your PCP growing up. No. That would be weird. That would be also a violation of medical ethics. Right, exactly. So since my dad was my pastor, I ended up in my youth pastor's office and in the assistant pastor's office and talking to their wives just constantly. I mean, I was in people's offices for counseling or some trouble that I was having, like like once to twice a week at least. Oh man, I want to take a quick sidebar here to bring something up because when we were planning this episode and you know we've been talking about doing this for a while i wanted to say okay i want to focus on what is the ifb's position on mental health that would be a great episode to do and sadie like your response was that's literally impossible to fill an episode with that so do you want to tell everyone why it would be impossible to fill an episode with that yeah because here's the ifb's entire view on mental health are you ready yes i'm ready Number one, it's a spiritual problem. Number two, it doesn't exist. That's it. <laughs> that would have been the whole episode. Wow. So two minutes, do the intro. Actually, it would take like eight minutes to do the intro. <laughs> right. Um, because because we haven't talked in like three days. And when you and I haven't <laughs> talked in like three days, there's a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, stuff, stuff comes out. Right. We do the intro, do the spiel. What's the IFB's take on mental health? Oh, we'll tell you after the offering. <laughs> offering break. We're back. Mental health doesn't exist. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Two minute episode. There we go. Maybe we should have just done that. <laughs> yeah. We could have we could have Bang your head. Dang, dang, dang. We could have just done that and then substituted that song instead of our um outro music and that would have been it. Mental health will drive you mad, also the devil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that whole episode, it could have been a flow chart posted on our Instagram from the people who brought you meetings that should have been emails. <laughs> We now bring you podcast episodes that could have been flowcharts. Well, <laughs> apparently other people like the sound of our voices almost as much as we do. So I guess we'll just soldier on with this episode. But really, the IFB has two answers to any mental health question. If you say, I'm depressed, the IFB says, number one, you're not depressed because depression isn't real. Or... Mm. Number two, you're depressed because Satan is making you depressed and you're letting him do it. Or you might be demon possessed. Who knows? That's victim blaming. Yeah. So if you say, you know, I'm feeling like I have to do certain things and I feel like I can't control them or I'm hearing voices that are telling me to do things, the IFB says, that's not real. It's all in your head. If you can't mentally shut those things down, then you're demon possessed. That's kind of how it used to be, though. Yeah. Like say you were say you were schizophrenic or bipolar or like OCD 500 years ago. They would just say, "Oh, you're demon possessed" and then they'd burn you with the stake or something. Yeah, or back in the day when doctors thought that women are susceptible to hysteria, but the key difference is that the IFB won't treat mental health problems by giving you a vibrator and a bunch of cocaine, sadly. 
we should bring that back. You, okay, yes, but also <laughs> Mindy St. Clair, baby. Mindy, Mindy St. Clair. Clair. <laughs> no. Um we should talk about how the IFB does treat mm-hmm. mental illness. I feel like this is like a joke heavy episode because there's heavy stuff yeah. in it too. Yeah, we, well we have to do that. You can't talk about like, depression hope. and like, not make it. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I couldn't bear doing this show, honestly. Right. And and that's like how our friendship has always been, too. Yeah. So, counseling. Let's talk about what actually happens when you go into someone's office for counseling. So, you've made an appointment with your pastor, or you've waited in a counseling line. If you're in there about a hard and fast question, like, should I buy this house? You're going to get a straightforward answer. If you have a good pastor, you're going to get questions like, can you afford it? Have you set a budget? Uh, Here's some things that you should consider. If you have one of those manipulative pastors, it's going to be, well, that house that you're thinking about buying is five minutes further from church. Is this going to affect your attendance? This mortgage is higher. Are you still going to be able to pay tithe every month? Yikes. Yeah. Wow. So So how long do these meetings usually go? If it's about a quick question like that, it could be two minutes to 10 minutes. Like, would you, what would happen to somebody if they bought a house and they didn't ask their pastor for? See, that depends on the, that beforehand. depends on the church. In some churches, like you, in some churches, like you don't really have to ask your pastor, or you might just you might just ask your pastor to, to say a general prayer over you, like a blessing prayer for looking for a new house, um, that God would give you a good deal and that God would help you find the right place, um, which is fine. Like, fine if yeah. that makes you feel good. More power to you. But if your pastor is manipulative and you bought a house without telling him, then uh, you could get, he's going to preach a sermon from the pulpit and he's not going to give your name, but he's going to talk about, well, some people in this church think that they can just go off and do whatever they want without consulting God. And let me just tell you that if you don't consult with the man of God before you do something in your life, then you're a sinner. And everybody hears that and everybody knows who they're talking about. And then all of a sudden, the Smith kids aren't allowed to play with your kids, and your kids are crying because their best friends aren't allowed to talk to them anymore, and it just like wow. spirals from there. But this is—you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of like you ever have that situation where uh, somebody, where your landlord finds out that you got a raise, ooh, and yeah, and they're like, "Well, now you can pay more rent. Rent just went up two hundred dollars. Surprise." <laughs> You're like, great. In that situation, if you have like a, a landlord who's trying to be an ethical person, that wouldn't happen. No. Or you'd get a you know, you'd get a five dollar rent increase. But if you have a landlord who's like, I'm gonna squeeze everything out of this person that I possibly can, then you're gonna get you, you got a two hundred dollar raise and all of a sudden you got a hundred and seventy five dollar rent increase. So it's it's like that. Like the there the the situation sets pastors up to have every opportunity to be manipulative. And that doesn't mean that all of them are, but I think that all of them are tempted to. You know, we, we know that power is incredibly addictive. We know that power is attractive and tempting. And I don't see any reason to put fallible human men in that kind of power position when it's not really doing anyone any good. And even the good ones are going to be tempted, even if they never actually do abuse their power. So hmm. anyway, if you're, if you're in there about a house or a car, it's going to be short. Um, if it's for something more complicated, like if you have a rebellious child that you're dragging into the pastor's office, or if you have a mental health type concern, that could go on. You'd be asked to make an appointment like during the week or before a church service on a Wednesday night or something, because that kind of thing can go on for hours and hours. Mm. And I should probably clarify, I've never personally known 
of a man in the IFB going to see the pastor for any kind of straight up anxiety, depression, mental health stuff. I know out here in the real world that men going to therapy is stigmatized. And I don't want to erase this as a cultural problem. But in the IFB, men just don't have mental health issues. That is exclusively a female thing. So say you're feeling depression or anxiety and you need to go in there. Who's going to be there? It's going to be you, pastor, pastor's wife. Yeah. If uh, so, we're gonna we're gonna go from the perspective of, of being woman or somebody that the IFB would automatically gender as woman, um, because one, that's my experience, and two, like I, like I said, I don't really think men do this very often at all. So most pastors won't have a woman in the office with the door closed because of the rules of being alone with the opposite gender. So some pastors might leave the door cracked where nobody could see in. But the but there's a small sliver of people could could potentially hear um, or walk by and look in, or the pastor may have his wife sit in on the appointment. Some really creative pastors that I've known of ha- would have their wife sit in the appointment, but wear like turn the other way and wear headphones so she can like see out of the corner of her eye that everything is proper. But she's wearing headphones and like blasting Hiles Anderson music so she can't hear what's being said, which I think like that's a nice solution if that you know that's fine. A lot of these people, though, they would just have you talking to both the pastor and his wife. And it's, let me tell you, (laughs) Mm. it feels like a mix of what I imagine being on trial feels like and being at a therapist. And it is just, it's really not comfortable. It's really not. I can't imagine it would be, you know, I can see a myriad of potential problems with this if you are going to therapy your therapist obviously has to abide by a code of medical ethics and can't disclose any information that you say unless you are deemed a danger to yourself or to others. So is there any standard in place to protect your personal information from being turned into church gossip? So, Because if your pastor and your pastor's wife are in on the session, that's twice as many people who could potentially breach your confidence. Yes, Um the pastor and anyone else who is present, uh, because in some churches, they could just have like two pastors in there, like a pastor and assistant pastor for chaperoning each other. But anyone who is there would be expected not to say anything about your issues to other people. They would teach this in classes at Bible college that are supposed to teach future pastors how to deal with the situation. They would they would teach, um, even at really strict Bible colleges like Hiles Anderson, they would absolutely teach people that this should stay strictly confidential and that people need to be able to trust that you're not going to blast their issues to everybody. However, there's no, because there's no oversight of individual pastors at independent Baptist churches, there's no governing board and there's no guarantee that this will actually happen. So you could have the pastor, I don't think most pastors would say from the pulpit what your counseling issues were, although I've heard of this happening. Um, I think that that would be really unusual I don't think that most pastors would gossip to other church members at all, but you might have the pastor bring your issues to the entire church staff to tell them to keep an eye on you. You could have the pastor bringing up your issues in the guise of a prayer request. It shouldn't happen, and they do teach mm-hmm. pastors not to do that, but pastors go and do it anyway. So that's that's not great. So, so, this like, is just a, so that's what yeah. I'm saying. The pastor has way too much authority over your individual life decisions and has no oversight. 
So if you're so having it's, issues, it's just, everything yeah. is so. And this is this is the thing. It sets. I'm not ever saying that every IFB pastor is personally abusive. I grew up in a pastor's home. I know my father. I love my father, and he was a wonderful pastor, and he did he did an amazing job, and he really loved people. But this system is a perfect system for somebody who is abusive to just thrive and be able to do anything. So it's not individuals I have problem with. It's the system. Sorry, I just had to get that out. Yeah. So, it, but like, if you're having issues with your parents and you tell your pastor, your parents are going to find out anyway, probably. Oh yeah. Well, if you're not married, all bets are off because if you're a teenager or even an adult who is still under the authority of your parents because you're not married yet, um, you're not really considered a whole person within the IFB. Like teenagers and children are not considered individuals in the way that married mm-hmm. adults are. Um, if you tell your pastor something as a teenager or a child, um, or even as a very young adult who's not married, there's like less than a 10% chance that he does not immediately run to your parents and tell them what you said. Wow. So this is a bad situation for an IFB teenager or a young person who's having problems. The same goes for married women. If you're a married woman and you tell a pastor something, it's almost certainly going to end up back with your husband. And I don't think I even need to explain how this is just an ideal scenario for abusive parents and abusive husbands. So this is just another example in the ways that which the IFB works to isolate people. Yes. And this is like a a major cult thing. Cults are going to isolate people. So if there's nobody you can trust to keep your information safe, you have nobody that you can talk to. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the one of several ways that the IFB just breeds paranoia and suspicion. There there is always this, you know, the sword of Damocles hanging by a thread over your head. If someone even finds out or suspects that you're depressed, that person can go to the pastor and then the pastor can call you on the carpet in his office and then the pastor can intimidate you into telling him what's going on. And then the pastor can tell your parents or your husband or whatever, and you can lose your positions in the church and your life can fall apart. Wow. Even if you didn't go to a friend and say, hey, I'm struggling, even if somebody just suspected you of that. And then, so so there's the factor that, you know, if some people are watching you all the time to see if you follow the rules. So if someone sees you in Walmart wearing pants or finds a casting crown CD in your car, that you're going to go through that same process of like the... the the pastor preaching about you from the pulpit or calling you on the carpet and lose loss of status and loss of friends. But you can't even go to somebody in private and trust them. Wow. If you're a teenager. Yikes. Yeah. So, so I don't know if I could possibly overstate the paranoia that, that you get from, from living in a group like that. So if you're a teenager, your pastor can just suggest that your parents ship you off to whatever terrible, fundy, troubled teens home he's in good with. The pastor literally has the power to make or break your life. Not all of them, not every IFB pastor abuses that power, but the ones that do can absolutely destroy your life. So what this leads to is very paranoid people. And this is one reason, in my opinion, that such a high percentage of XIFB people tend to have anxiety disorders and PTSD. Just constantly thinking everybody's watching you. Mm-hmm. Don't like. So I think we spoke in a much earlier episode about a time when you were grieving the loss of a grandparent and people told you, you know, go to God with your problems. Is that basically the alternative to going to the pastor or, you know, 
it's either go to God with your problems or, you know, go to counseling with your pastor who will tell your parents or tell everyone that, you know, everything that you said, or possibly like use this as an opportunity to, and to like exact some thing from you that you don't want to give him. Yeah. The options are pretty much pray about it and read your Bible. And if you're already doing that and you just can't cope with whatever you've got going on, then you go to your pastor or authority figure. And then your pastor is going to read you more Bible verses, maybe recommend memorizing a certain passage or chapter, maybe give you a religious book to read. And he's going to tell you that you're depressed because you aren't working hard enough for God. Or you're depressed because you have unconfessed sin in your life. Or you're depressed because the devil is attacking you, which is a good thing. But it's your fault if you can't fight the devil off hard enough. I watched a documentary on Scientology, and this really reminds me of that. Yeah, for um, sure. Oh, yeah. Like, they're just like... I, I got through part of the Leah Remini. I don't know if that was the one you watched. I, I got through part of it, and then I had to kind of take a break because it was very similar. Yeah. We're going to talk about Scientology eventually. Mm-hmm. I don't know when we're going to do that. We'll do that eventually. Um, but can we talk about your personal experiences in counseling? Yeah. So when so you what you started in, what, high school? Mm-hmm. I was in a lot of yeah. I was in a lot of counseling in high school, and at times people that I went to for counseling tried to help me kind of work through issues I was having. I got in a really bad fight with some friends from school one time, so our principal called us in, and and that was actually pretty constructive. He used the Gordon Ramsay technique, um, so, so you know when when Gordon Ramsay like lets everybody get out all the all the problems that they have with everybody else who works in their restaurant. So so he let us oh, like Oh yeah 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 yeah. He let yeah. us like and do then, that, get it all out on the table. And so that was constructive. But counseling for feeling depressed wasn't just wasn't constructive. It was uh you're fine, all teenagers are depressed, it's probably just your your crazy girl hormones. Uh read your Bible and pray, try not to think about it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You are perfectly capable of being fine and if you're cho- if you're not fine, you're choosing not to be. That's not great. Yeah, just not like no. super helpful. Not useful. But at that time, I was having kind of what I would call uncomplicated teenage depression. Like, it sucked. It was hard. But a, a lot of teenagers have, and it, you know, hormonal and life changes. And it's not to be taken lightly, but a lot of teenagers have depression or anxiety because of being a teenager. <laughs> they deserve help, and it is hard for them. And it can be, it can be, it can have an extreme impact on somebody's life. But it's not terribly complicated in a lot of cases. The answers that I got didn't help me, but they were minimally harmful. It's not helpful or comforting to be told you're fine by the same people that are telling you that you're sinning by locking eyes with a boy across the room. Yes, I did have someone, not Mm. my school principal, but somebody else, tell me that I was being distracting uh, and flirting and too bold because I looked at a boy. But like but and that was somebody else who like was telling me I was fine and it was all gonna be okay. But like that's not the worst thing that can happen to certainly not the worst thing that can happen to a teenager. Like it wasn't great, but this is not the worst. And so this is like best case scenario. The counseling Yeah, for this type of problem at least because like the thing with your friends, that's kind of what a principal is supposed to do. They're just supposed to be like, okay, Yes, What's but going it was on called here? counseling because it was the IFB. For actual mental health. Like, this is like the best case scenario where it's just kind of useless, but it doesn't really make anything worse. Yeah. And like this, this was, 
some of this did stick with me long term because of the concept that my depression and my anxiety were my fault. Like, that's not a good thing to internalize, and that's something I'm still working on. But compare my story to the story that Dinah told us about when she was accused of being possessed with a gay demon. Yes. <laughs> okay, think about, like, that experience compared to mine. Like, people get shipped off to roll-off homes. People get beaten. People get exorcisms. People get physically tortured in counseling sometimes. So for the IFB, what happened to me is is mild. It's pretty much the best-case scenario. What's not the best-case scenario is something else that happened when I went to a counselor with really serious issues at Hiles Anderson. I, I went to Hiles Anderson, and I had been, like, I had had depression probably for a year, undiagnosed depression probably for years at that point. And I've alluded before to some of the issues I had at Hiles Anderson. Some of them I do details in a public forum. Some of them I don't. Because, and the reason for that, if you were ever wondering, it's because I don't want to involve people's stories who don't, who haven't consented to their story being told. Mm. Like, I'll tell the parts that are my story, but I don't want to tell somebody else's story unless they say it's okay. But I've alluded to to, to some of the the major issues that I had at, at Hiles Anderson. So you've talked about the toll that Scop's arrest and trial and conviction had on you like uh, and your mental health during, I think, the, what, the 2012-2013 school year. So these underlying issues coming to the front, is that starting before the Scop arrest or after? Or is it kind of all like concurrent? I think it's all kind of concurrent because my issues at Hiles and I went there depressed. You just thought this is how it is. Yeah. And so almost a year before the arrest, like I was already not in a great place. And then things just got worse after the Scop scandal broke and he went to jail. I think a lot of people can identify with a time in their lives. And if it hasn't ever happened to you, it will. They're just seasons of our lives, uh, to use the Christianese word. There are just times when it seems like it's one bad thing after another. And some of them are more serious and some of them are less serious. I think most people have gone through a time like that. Where it's just like everything is falling apart from the tiny things to the huge things. So some of the things that I happened to me that had happened to me were pretty ordinary, just like tough things that could have happened to anybody. And I, ju- it was just you know it was just my time to go through something bad. And some of the things that I went t- through at that time were unique to the IFB, but it all kind of just came down on me, just thing after thing after thing after thing. And the other factor is that I was totally unprepared. I had no life experience. I did not know how to handle anything, much less this. So some of the stuff that was going on, I was away from home for the first time, which was difficult, Um, but especially having grown up IFB and having been in a pretty insular place my whole life, I was really homesick. It was about a five-hour drive from my home in Illinois to Hiles Anderson, and I'm pretty sure I cried the entire five hours and then for about five more hours after my family left and went home. Uh, Mm. I was really... I mean, that's normal that's stuff, normal. though. Like, that's normal, but it sucked. Uh, the food was awful. Having roommates for the first time in my life was a big adjustment. One of my roommates didn't shower myself. That was a that was, that was was my second semester freshman year, and that was terrible. What, you have to drag her to the showers, kicking my and screaming? My other roommate, and, and... who I am still very, very close friends with, literally threw her in the shower fully clothed. <laughs> I'll tell the full story at some point when I figure out oh how to like, God, make sure everybody's that's... properly anonymized. Um, oh. but like that's like typical. <laughs> oh, that story gets like way deeper. <laughs> I'll tell that at some point. But this is like oh, typical God. stuff for a college freshman, right? Like like college freshmen go through that kind of tough stuff. But on top of that, I also had to do all the ministry work 
and the required devotions and all the time commitments that we've talked about at Hiles Anderson. And I'm going through emotional manipulation through like the sermons and the classes and everything else. And there's a weird focus on dating and there's a lot of rules to remember. And I was like paranoid about messing up the rules. So it was all the normal college pressures that are on pretty much everyone who goes to college. Trying to get good grades, trying to pass all your classes. Right. Like, and, and that's like all very typical, but it's all that. And then add all of the Hiles Anderson stuff. And then my grandfather died like less than a month into my freshman year. Oh, that's unbelievably awful. That's yeah. Oh, so a lot of this is, is just like bad luck stuff that could happen to Amy college freshman. But I was a chronically depressed college freshman with the beginnings of PTSD and all the IFB baggage. And I also had zero life skills and I also had zero support because of the culture of paranoia. It was it was a combination of things. And it's not just Hiles Anderson, but that was certainly a big contributor. So from there, I had dating drama. I had catty rumors spread about me long before the infamous storage closet three-way rumor. Uh, I had people... <laughs> actively bullying me. I still think that's funny. I still think that. At this point, I think it's funny. I had people actively bullying me in class, which I've talked about. And then then between my freshman and sophomore year, Jack Scott got arrested and he went to jail and the whole place was in complete chaos. And then I had a concussion at the end of my third semester at Hiles Anderson and I didn't get medical help. And I had memory issues and emotional regulation issues from that. So, So I just kind of, there was, it was... I don't want to put all of the blame on Hiles Anderson because some of this is like normal college freshman bullshit, but it was the normal stuff plus Hiles Anderson, which was just a lot. So because of all this, I ended up in a lot of offices doing a lot of counseling. Yeah, but it just seems like Hiles Anderson isn't set up to handle a student with needs like this. But it's And it's not just that, though. It's that Hiles Anderson can't even comprehend how much they aren't capable of handling a student with needs like this. You know, yes, it's just <laughs> because like what you're supposed to do is just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out or go to counseling. So if there is an office at Hiles Anderson, I have probably been in that office crying. I cried right. in so many offices. I cried in the missions hallway and I cried in the admin hallway and I cried upstairs where the female teachers offices are. And I cried in the uh, the um post office hallway offices and I call I cried in the academic offices and I may have even cried in the security office at one point. I don't even remember. Everybody who went there knows exactly all the places that I'm listing off. Uh was like, oh yeah, I was there for that one. That maybe. <laughs> I mean who knows. I talked to every professor who was known for being a good counselor. I talked to the dean of women there are actually there were actually two deans of the dean of women was like a split role at the time I was there. Talked to both of them. I talked to the department head for my major. I talked to the academic dean. I talked to the dean of men, who actually was somewhat helpful. And I talked to Belinda Gaona. Belinda Gaona is a a well-known figure at the college, and she was actually pretty helpful. Uh, So I got to give credit where credit is due. The dean of men and and Mrs. Gaona Gaona were, were really, really helpful. She has a reputation for being the world's biggest hard ass and so intimidating Everybody, including the men, are scared of her. That's how scary she is. Yikes. Everybody thinks she is the meanest person ever. Actually, she's not. She gave me chocolate and made me feel better. <laughs> so I want to give give credit where credit is due to Belinda Gaona. But I do feel like 
it should have been obvious to the administration that I was having a really tough time and very much not okay. Oh, I attended a counseling session in the gym one time. Wow. <laughs> That's how many places I've cried at Hiles Anderson. <laughs> but like, I feel like I'm listing all of this because I feel like there should have been like the administration should have known that like I was not doing good. These are the people who think that, you know, through God, all things are possible, right? But to them, this doesn't mean uh, God gives you the tools to be successful or God will provide you with opportunities and you have to be open to them. This means through this church, we are capable of doing everything and we'll never be in over our heads in any situation ever because God has blessed us. Right. You know, they're like, there's a difference there. And all I was getting from most of these people that I was seeking help from was along the lines of, I don't know, read your Bible more. You're fine. Stop being a dramatic woman. You're letting your emotions control you and you need to not let your emotions control you. And all of these answers were just making me really hate myself because it's like, why can't I control these emotions? If if everybody is telling me that I should be able to just get myself under control, you know, bring my body into subjection, why can't I? Towards the end, after I had been through the breakup with Noah that I've talked about and the fallout from that and rumors, I was being threatened by a fellow student. Um, and if you knew me at the time, if you think you know the situation, you did not know the, si- you did not know the situation. Um, I am putting my foot down where you're going to have no speculation or witch hunting on this. We are not. Uh, but, but unless you're one of like the two people I've told. But I was, I was in, I was in danger and I was suicidal. I was harming myself. And I was seriously thinking about trying to end my life. And so you're going to counseling and you're telling them this and they're yeah. saying, yeah. And they're saying, never mind that. Let's take a look at your dating options right now. Your stock is plummeting and your reputation's in the toilet. Everybody <laughs> thinks that you, you know, what, what's this business I hear about you with this three way in the, the closet? Like you need to do something about that or, you know, you won't <laughs> find a godly husband at all. Never mind all this. Like, don't so, worry about that. So like not quite that bad, but like almost. Wow, really? Yes. So the answer that I was getting was you're letting, you know, you're letting your emotions control you and you're just not self-disciplined enough. You know, that's that's a foolish thing to say and you need to fix it. Wow. So I finally went to the staff member who was supposed to be one of the best at counseling. He gave me a book by Jack Scopp who had months earlier been sentenced to 10 years in prison. For sex trafficking of a minor. For sex trafficking of a minor who was two years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you think that they'd like be like, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe maybe there's a better book. <laughs> Bad call on that one. No, but what, so what was the book about? So the book is called Healing for the Inner Hurts. There are probably a few of our listeners who have read it. If you want to look it up, the title Healing for the Inner Hurts, it's similar in style to Dating with a Purpose. Creepily, it's Jack Scott making a lot of unqualified assumptions about mental health with a focus on teenage girls. Mm. Yeah. We all know that Jack Scott loves to focus on those teenage girls, and that's why he's in jail. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it would be a fun episode idea, though. If we, so I know that we've got listeners uh, to our show who are mental health professionals. If we got one of them to come on the show and to review Jack Scott's book. Ooh. About mental health. Yeah. Or would reading that book again uh, take you back there and, and trigger your PTSD? <laughs> um, I think I'd be fine. I think I would really love doing that episode. I'm going to bring this back towards the end of, of our episode here. I have a lot of triggers. <laughs> I do. 
but most of them have been like worked through and processed and reprocessed so many times that they don't have a lot of power over me. So if I get triggered, it's going to be a splinter, not a bullet wound, if that makes sense. Yeah. There are very, very few things that still get, there are things that still get me, but there are few things that still get me badly enough that I can't shake it off and be okay in five minutes. So if you are a mental health professional, please email us at leavingedenpod at gmail.com. We will set something up. Uh, I'll see if I can pick up a few copies on eBay or find a PDF or something. Yeah, just as long as we're not giving any money to Hiles Publications. No, I, I have I have learned that I can often find stuff on eBay for like $2 and then nothing's going to scoff yeah. or anything. And I don't want to buy him ramen noodles in prison. Uh, so, oh, so this counselor. So back to this. You're suicidal. They give you this book. They give me this book. This <laughs> by a pedophile. Gave me a book by a pedophile and some Bible verses to memorize. So college staff knew that I was actively harming myself and they knew that i was actively suicidal like making plans yikes wow Um, and they did nothing but like tell me to keep seeing this counselor who gave me the book by the pedophile the college staff knew that there were direct threats to my safety from another student i know 100% sure that the college staff knew this because that person told a college official that they were going to hurt me in front of me and they did absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. So I want to bring up um, right now, I think it's a good time to bring up mandatory reporting laws because there are several professions that if somebody tells you that they are a danger to themselves or others, then they are legally required to report it to authorities and it like if so you brought up not just that you were considering suicide but that you were like and that you were like making plans but that you were explicitly being threatened with violence by another student who made those threats in front of you and a staff member mm-hmm. and so was that were, were the people who were privy to this information were any of them mandatory reporters so there is at least one person that i know of who both knew i know for sure that they knew and i know for sure that they were a mandatory reporter I I think that there were several more people. I can't prove it. There's one person that I that I know for sure both knew and was a mandatory reporter. And they did absolutely nothing. Not that I know of, unless there were things going on above my head, which I highly doubt. So I remember you saying in a previous episode that there was a suicide at HAC at House Anderson of a student, which the administration essentially covered up or made to seem like an accident. And you said that, like, basically, if you had died while at HAC, that you believe your death or at least the contributing factors would have been covered up as well. I do believe that. I think if I had died while a student, then this would have all never seen the light of day. Because, I mean, if any of this had come out, like, the school definitely would have had some legal liability in this case, although Christians don't sue each other, do they? Right. Um, Yeah, that's a whole thing. We're going to have to talk about that at some point. Yeah, we're going to get yeah. Um, if it came out that a student was being threatened and was suicidal and mandatory reporters didn't act and then that student died as a result, I mean, that is a huge liability. That is like, I mean, is that yeah. criminal? I, is, is that to the point to of be. criminal? It would have to be, right? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I, I just Well, just thinking about like some of the lawsuits that have been coming out against other Christian colleges about sexual assault – and like what, and against uh, non-Christian secular colleges as well. 
the the trend that I feel like I'm saying is that the the college is liable if they know that there's a threat and they don't act on that. Hmm. You know, the well, the end of the story is that that I that I survived and that I'm not in danger, and that's that's good. <laughs> I just don't want to end on this like this half on such a bad note. But I think that's a pretty good overview of how my mental health was treated in the IFB. It doesn't exist. And I want to I want to temper this by saying I did not have the worst experience that I've heard of. Yeah, I was neglected really badly. I slipped through the very large cracks in that system and it it could have ended in tragedy. But um I want to I want to temper that with, you know, I I made it and there are horror stories that go far far beyond my experience. So why don't we take up the offering now and we can come back and talk about how much better things are in the real world. That sounds great. <laughs> After the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. <laughs> the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, so now that we've gotten all this out there, I want to turn a corner and talk about therapy. Therapy. Oh, yeah. Everybody (laughs) needs it. Everybody wants it. Not everybody wants it. So, well, that that leads me to my first point. Yeah. I want to say off the top that I understand that not every single person is helped by traditional talk therapy. I'm a big believer in it personally. But I understand that there are people that it is just not as effective for. I understand that there are people that it might be effective for who don't want to try it. And I understand that therapy is not accessible to everyone for both financial reasons and for other reasons. If you stick with us for a few minutes, I'm going to offer some alternative tools for people who can't access therapy for any of those reasons or any other reason. Therapy is very expensive. Too expensive. Yeah. Mm, Money. Like a lot of times it's too expensive for people to take time to engage in it unless they are like 100% sure that it will work. Or like, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'll try it for a few sessions, but that's all that I have money for. But like, it takes more than just like a few sessions to- For a lot of people to, to see, see results. results. Yeah. yeah it, it, that's like, oh, I'm going to go to the, that's like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym for a week. 
doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work the same for everybody, at least. Well, like going to the gym. There are different reasons that you might want to be. That's a great analogy, Sadie. Good job. It is a great analogy. Take care of your mind. Take care of your body. They're both aspects of your health, and they both take time. Working out at the gym is a great way to get healthier or get thinner or get muscles for a lot of people. And it works for almost everybody, but it's not the ideal thing for everybody. And also you can't go for like a week and expect to get the results that you're going to want. No, but one thing that I have found out is that as my physical health has improved from exercising frequently, my mental health has also improved. And as my mental health has improved, my physical health has also improved. So they, those two things, mind, body, they are one and the same. Take yeah. care of yourself out there. So you're right, though. Therapy is extremely expensive, depending on what area you live in and what insurance you have, so on. I think that people who are proponents of therapy like to sweep that under the rug a good bit. I don't want to participate in that. Also, if you have to work full-time or more than full-time and you can't find a therapist who works when you don't work, how are you going to access therapy? And if you have trauma that makes talk talk therapy difficult for you, if you have medical issues that make it hard for you to physically go to a therapist and you can't connect with someone online... There are, there are tons of reasons that this is that, that people either can't access therapy or that it's not ideal for them the way that it currently functions and is set up. Therapy is one of those things. I think there's a huge generational gap about. You know what oh, I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, because oh, yeah. like, I've experienced this attitude from uh, some people <laughs> uh, who will say, you will use going to therapy like as a bit of a barb. They'll be like, oh, you need therapy. Like, you know, like that. And then as. Oh, yeah. Like, like it's like an insult. An insult yeah. <laughs> or like the per- they're like, oh, that- I heard that person's seeing someone, you know, <laughs> like like a salacious secret. Like, you know, did you oh, watch yeah. The Sopranos? No. Oh, well, I keep meaning to. Part of the premise of the show is that Tony Soprano, you know, mob boss, career criminal, and just general unsavory human is going to therapy for the first time. And that is a through line for a lot of the story. <laughs> so that's very fun. Uh, you might actually like that. Yeah, I, I, I keep wanting to to watch that. One of the issues with it is that the mob finds out that he's going and they're like, oh no, are they going to and kill him or are they going to kill his doctor over that they're, they're afraid oh, that man. he's like sharing secrets yeah yeah and and i hope that this perception of therapy is like something salacious and like oh there's something wrong with you i hope that continues to change over time for sure literally one okay so this is one of the first conversations that we ever had like ever probably like the second or third conversation that we ever had we were just like talking i said my favorite songwriter is leonard cohen you're like, oh man, my fa- my therapist recommended the Leonard Cohen song Anthem. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's correct. I actually made so I moved across the country from that therapist, so we don't see each other anymore. But I made her a piece of artwork with some of the lyrics to Anthem when I moved away as like a goodbye gift. That's a great song. It's one of my favorites. But that's like kind of the yeah, millennial sure. attitude is like, oh, everyone's got one, or yeah. if you don't have one, it's because you're broke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was so I was thinking for people who haven't been to therapy, can we maybe chat a little bit about what an appointment looks like? Sure. Um, I feel like there might be listeners who, especially those who did come out of the IFP or other high pressure groups, there might be listeners who would like to pursue therapy or keep thinking like I would like to try that, I might enjoy doing that, but they 
don't really know how to get the ball rolling. Also, we can talk about like how you made that decision to to go in there because there's a lot yeah. of people, you know, they're like, I, I'm still because we have a lot of listeners who are in various stages of deconstruction. For sure. So I'm not an expert about this by any means, not claiming to be, but I have I have had a lot of therapy and I thought I could maybe <laughs> offer some words of general advice that, that like this is what I would say to a friend if I had a friend who was thinking about starting therapy because all of our listeners are my friends and this might help people kind of just get a start off in the right direction. Okay, please do. Please go forward with this. So uh, the one of the biggest questions I had when before I went to therapy and what people ask me is what is the appointment what is this appointment going to be like and that sounds kind of basic but think about if you've come from the IFB world or if you've literally never been to therapy you don't know what to expect and that can be scary you're wondering if you're going to have to lie down on a leather couch and be shown ink blots and asked and how does that make you feel by a man with a pipe Yes. And a, a tweed jacket with leather uh, elbows. I want the jacket like that. I feel like I would that look so good cute. in a jacket like that. So your first ther- therapist appointment, what that's going to be like is you're going to meet this person and they're going to ask you, depending on what you're there for, they're going to ask you to like tell your life story. You can be You can be general or give more specifics and they might ask you to clarify things or give more detail. For me, my life story takes a lot more than one session. Uh, what episode are we on? <laughs> Number 70, <laughs> what? 76. Um, yeah. But it might... Oh, we got 100 coming up. 76, the number of freedom. Yeah, true, yeah, true. 76. Cool. They just... They want an idea of like the major events that have shaped your life and the reasons that you're seeking therapy and like what what are the, thing, the things that are affecting your life? What is it that you're dealing with that you need help dealing with? It also depends on like what you want to get out of it. You, you know what I'm saying? You ever go in, you're just like, hey, my brain broke, please fix. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you're there, like, brain broke, please fix. They're going to ask you about, like, whoa, okay, what do you mean by brain broke? And how does this affect you day to day? And what would a good outcome if your brain wasn't broken, what would be different in your life? I don't know. Can't you, like, hit it with, like, a scanner and then it'd be like, this is <laughs> like wrong. Like the, the computer that they use at the car dealership. Yeah. I plug in and it just like comes up as whatever it is. <laughs> so if you go in like brain broke, please fix. Okay. Well, what, how does this affect you? What do you mean by brain broke? Uh, what would a good outcome be if your brain wasn't broke? Are you so frazzled from the hyper awareness of PTSD and you're getting triggered all the time and you're just like retreating into yourself to feel safe? If, if that's the case, what would being okay look like for you? What would you be able to do that you can't do now if this was better? So the therapist, if they're any good, is going to ask you about where you are, where do you need to get to in a compassionate way and try to make you comfortable sharing that. And then it's their job to walk you through the mental work to get from where you are to closer to where you need to be. And if you get there and you and the therapist are just not vibing, like if you just don't feel comfortable sharing this kind of stuff with them, you can just not go back. Um, you're not obligated to deal with somebody who just isn't the right fit and they're not going to take it personally. It feels like you're trying to like break up with a therapist and you think it's going to be the equivalent of a breakup where like somebody's trying to convince you to stay with them and you have to give all these reasons that you don't want to stay with them and there's conflict It's not going to be like that. You can literally just ghost them or you can just tell them that you're moving on. Therapy is one place where you're allowed to focus on yourself and your own needs. And you do not have to be there to try to make the therapist feel good. So if I ever go into like an office, right, and there's new age music playing 
and it's all neutral aesthetic. You know what I'm saying? You you know the kind of place that yeah. I'm talking. Yeah, I am leaving immediately. If I am in an environment that screams, "This environment is made to relax you," I will not be relaxed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that, that I, makes sense knowing you. <laughs> knowing me, I will be extremely annoyed. All of the stuff that's supposed to relax people, you know, like soothing music and like. I mean, I'm kind of with you on that. The most relaxing place in the world to me is Vegas. So that's because they pump in the oxygen. I just, I just, I like the overstimulation. No, I'm happiest when I have like 80 things to do and I'm ignoring them and watching TV instead. But like knowing that I have. I'm happiest when I have like 80 things to do and I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off getting them all done. You see, that's the thing is that like, I know that I'm going to get them all done. Like, so that's why I started keeping a list of things to do on my phone anyway. Um, and like, I'll, I'll do like, I'll make a list that's too long on purpose. And then I know that I won't get them done. So then I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna watch it. Game of Thrones. Um, but oh, anyway, I'll, I'll make a yeah. list that's too long on purpose so that I can push myself harder than I should to get it all done and then feel good about myself. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally fair. I'll totally tell you, healthy, I, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no like, but if it, it, all the things that are like supposed to relax, you, you know, if my therapist is too nice to me, it's not going to work. You know what I'm mm. saying? If I like, I need somebody compassionate, but who can call me on my bullshit and not in like a soft and gentle way. You know what I'm saying? If I get somebody who's just like, yeah, because like if you text me and you're having a problem and I say something nice to you, it doesn't seem to do anything. No, and then like, I like give you the brutal honesty yeah. and then you're yeah. like, yes, thank you. There we go. Yeah. No, you got to cut to the chase. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. See, I need I need somebody who's going to make me do what I say I'm going to do. Like if I yeah. say I'm going to read a certain book that they recommended, I need somebody who's going to be on my case if I don't do it because I make enough excuses for myself and I don't need help. Yeah. No, I don't want a meek therapist. I want Larry David yelling at me, telling me everything that's wrong with my life. <laughs> that would be a great therapy experience. So people also ask me what therapy has done for me or like what are the benefits? Because people tend to think that therapy is just like, you get to talk about the stuff that, that happened to you that you hated and then like that's supposed to somehow make you feel better. I think what it's done for me is it's allowed me to process and contextualize my experiences. So it's not just like chaos in my brain with all these negative memories and like memories that I don't know how I feel about just bombarding me all the time. It's more like my brain is now neatly filed and everything is on shelves and there's more peace and order up there. The way that I describe PTSD is like, well, if you have PTSD that you're not dealing with, it's like there's just stuff all over the floor in your brain and you trip over it and you get triggered because like there's just triggers everywhere. And when you've dealt with it and kind of worked on yourself, it's like, oh, everything's on shelves. And sometimes things are still going to fall off the shelves and you might have to go clean up that mess and put things in order again. But there's a general sense of order and context. I suppose there's going to be like some that specialize in different things anyway, like PTSD. Or like, you know, say you've been in a cult and there's going to be somebody who's like, oh, I know all about that. Let me. I've, I've never been to a cult deconstruction specialist, although I've worked through a lot of that stuff with different therapists. I want to talk about the like what I know that there are cult deconstruction therapists. Um, I think there might be one in our Facebook group uh, who has themselves been in, in a cult and like is now become a therapist for other people. But I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Wow. I do want to talk about like what deconstruction in therapy looks like. 
if you're trying to do deconstruction work through therapy, it's going to be a lot of questions like uh, what parts of this do you still believe and why do you believe this? And are there any parts of this that you believe, but you'd rather not believe it anymore? What do you want to keep and what do you want to let go of? Uh, if you've been in a cult or if you've been in a highly abusive environment outside of a cult, you might work with a therapist on forgiveness. Uh, I know it's helped me a lot with working through why other people treated me the way that they did. But, but personally, one of the biggest things that I needed to realize is that I think when you come out of a cult, you can think like either you can you can be have very black and white thinking. So you're either thinking people have treated me badly because they're terrible and everybody's terrible and I can't trust anybody. Or you might think people have treated me badly because they're misguided, but nobody ever, ever meant to hurt me. And so I have, I'm obligated to forgive them. I needed to, to be able to realize that that's a spectrum. Some people are mean and awful because they're mean and awful. And that's just how they are. And then other people do mean and awful things because they are wrongfully convinced that it's for the best. And therapy has let me kind of work through why I think people have done things that they've done. And that's helped me to let a lot of things go. If I'm the kind of person, if somebody hurt me, I will walk around with like, why did they hurt me forever? But if I can either categorize that into because they're mean and there's probably someone out there who, who hurt them and they decided to channel that into hurting others instead of growing up and dealing with it. Or if I can categorize it into because they didn't know any better, they didn't know they were hurting me. It's helpful for me and I can close the book on it and feel better. So that's something that your therapist might be able to help with if you've been hurt by other people. One of the things that our listeners have said to us in messages, emails, comments, all that is they find a lot of validation. Um, and these are a lot of people who are ex, you know, cult members or whatever, is they find validation in just hearing somebody's aghast reaction about the things that have happened to them. You know, like, I mean, because that's one of the reasons. Yeah, I think maybe that's one of the appeals of our show. I don't know. It's something that like. I think like if you go into therapy with some deep trauma, they will say to you, that thing that happened to you was not normal. And you need to hear that that thing was not normal. Like you just act like you're like, oh, it's whatever. They're like, no, let's yeah. talk about that. That wasn't, you understand what happened to you, right? Like, yeah. One of the most powerful moments in my whole deconstruction, I was just getting out, just getting into therapy. I told my therapist a story and this is one that I'm not going to tell on the podcast, but you know this story. It's the mm. spoon story. Oh. And my therapist actually uh, started crying while I was crying telling the story. No, oh, you told me that story. I was so mad, dude. I'm like, I'm not one for fights or violence, but I was like, I'm like, I will fight this motherfucker. Like, yeah, let I, me at him, you know? <laughs> and okay. And six years later ish. I told you was when I told you that story. Yeah. And I was falling over laughing and you were turning like funny colors. You were so mad. What the no. And I think that's a testament mm. to how much therapy has helped me because like that experience, I've been able to work through it enough that it's still upsetting and it's still unfortunate that it happened, but I, I don't, it doesn't traumatize me to, to when it comes into my mind or when I talk about it. Yeah. We laugh about the bad stuff here. But having my therapist validate that, like, that was so far out of the norm that that's something that even a therapist wouldn't normally hear. That was not okay. That shouldn't happen to anyone. You didn't deserve that. Like, that my experience was so far outside of the realm of normal that it emotionally affected someone who is supposed to be impartial. 
that was a big deal. I needed to face the fact that my experience wasn't normal or okay before I could heal from that experience and figure out how to be okay. Cults in particular um, often depersonalize their members. So if you leave, you may feel like you have no identity outside the cult or you may feel that you were lied to about who you were and what your purpose was. So another thing that you might find in deconstruction therapy is um, a therapist helping you work through that and giving you tools for self-actualization, which is a big thing. So you could go into your appointment literally just like, it has become clear to me that I have no personality. How do I get a personality? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a therapist can give you tools for making friends, tools for building a personality, presenting yourself in a way that feels like you. Yeah. So as a cult survivor... And this is something that our listeners may identify with. How exa- So how exactly do you address PTSD? How much of it is just like, okay, this is a trigger. That's a trigger. How much of it is like tying them with particular experiences? And how much of it is just like mitigating those things as well? I think the process of how you deal with PTSD is going to be different for each person. I find that some people do better with dealing with stuff so that they can move on. And then not, it's not like they forget that they want to like put things out of their mind and not think about them day to day and not get triggered and just like basically start again. Like, okay, well, I'm 35. Well, the last 30 years were complete bullshit. It's going to try to forget that they happened and like move on and live the next 35 years. For me, that's not my goal. I'm, I'm more the type of person I want to integrate those experiences into my understanding of myself. The goal for me is not like not getting triggered because cult survivors, I think it's a, it's a little bit different because we can have so many triggers. I personally have like three or four really big ones, but there are like a dozen or more things that, that will get to me. So trying to avoid every one of those things or trying to work through each one to where it has no effect on me wasn't really an ideal fix for my situation. What's worked better for me is uh, analyzing the events that led to me having those triggers because then like demystifying it and understanding why it's upsetting helps keep me grounded. And then I worked on accepting myself when I do get triggered. So one story that I don't mind telling on the podcast, um, slightly embarrassing, but I don't mind telling it. So I was at work a few years ago and someone had left a soda can in the refrigerator and I was sitting at the desk directly in front of the refrigerator and the can got, the, the, the setting on the refrigerator was too low the can got too cold and it exploded right behind my head and it made a very loud noise. <laughs> loud noises are one of my big things. They really get to me. And I like fully blacked out <laughs> until a few minutes later when I realized that I was on the other side of the room with my, like I was on the other side of the room under a desk with my hands over my ears, like shaking and rocking back and forth and didn't really know what had happened between the can exploding me and, and me ending up over there i mean i remember that though because you came and you like talked to me afterwards you're just like shook i don't know you you were yeah that was that was a rough one i do remember that that's i think that that's something that people could be that could feel embarrassing and it kind of does but i just i had to accept that that trigger is not really avoidable it's just gonna get me sometimes working on not getting triggered by loud noises wasn't something that i was ready for at the beginning working on bringing my reaction levels down to a more manageable place where I wouldn't usually have that severe of a reaction uh, was was more of a workable goal. I had to accept like this is just this is just part of what happens to me. I have to be able to deal with myself when that happens. 
because, you know, you, you just can't prevent ever hearing a loud noise in your life. And I needed the tools to explain to my coworkers in the office what happened. Like, okay, I'm okay. I've got to go take a walk. I'll be back in 10 minutes and I'll be all right. Therapy also gave me the skills to be okay in 10 minutes instead of taking hours or days to come down from something like that. And how to give a basic explanation of, hey, this is what happened without oversharing. All of those are tools that came from therapy. I will say years ago, I was like that all the time. There were just like so many triggers everywhere. And I was in a state of hypervigilance where things like that would happen to me weekly or twice a week. So therapy has helped me to reduce that and moderate that and cope with triggers where usually I'm able to cope with them really well. Something like ending up under a desk because the soda can't exploded happens to me like once a year or a couple times a year, which is a much, much better, great improvement. I want to give people like a reason. I want to give people a reasonable idea of what therapy is able to do. It's not magically made all of my triggers go away, but it's made them much more manageable. And it's helped me contextualize my story and my experiences so that I have a better understanding of what is a reasonable goal for me. So you got what you got out of the IFB 2013, 2015, sometime around there ish. It was a process. I mean, but you said, you know, you were absolutely a mess. So like, when did you decide that it's like, okay, I need to deconstruct this. I need to like actually make, make the changes, take the first steps or, or even just like set a goal for how you want to be or who you want to be. How, how did that happen? How did that come about? I think I just, I think I just felt like I had to do something. Mm. I, my, like I've said, my mental health was a mess. I didn't know what I believed. I had basically no life skills or experience. And I don't think I considered what my options were. It was kind of just figure it out. The, the first thing I did, I tried to ignore the trauma at first and just hit the ground running and start life. Can't do that. It didn't work out too great. I was just so far behind that there were too many new skills to learn at once. I I was getting along. Like I was, I was, you know, trying to, to catch up to where I felt like I needed to be. And then I went through a time period of just way too much stress. I had been helping a friend run her business and then she unexpectedly ended up in the hospital, almost died. And I was the only one who could take over and run her business while she was in the hospital. And then I had also just started a new job. I was walking out of the interview for my new job when I got the call that my friend was in the hospital and I needed to go to her house right then to ship out the orders for her small business for that day. And there were other factors going on, but there was just like a snowball effect. And I ended up in a really bad mental health place. I was privileged enough to have access to really inexpensive housing. So I was able to, me and the person I lived with were able to feed ourselves, keep keep ourselves housed with both of us just working part-time. And a friend of mine who had come out of the IFB maybe two years before I did was talking through all this stuff with me and we were sharing our experiences and he recommended a therapist and he knew somebody who was really a really good therapist. And Wait, so, you have the same therapist as one of your friends? That's... Uh, yeah. That's weird. I don't like that. Mm. Eh, I think I think it was fine. She was very professional. I didn't really. I felt like it was fine. Anyway, I was able to focus on because I had like affordable housing, and I was able to focus on therapy and get my head on straight. And I was in a lot of therapy for a while. So all of that to say, um, don't wait until you're way past your breaking point to get help if you can make that happen. Also, affordable housing and affordable health care. Because if I hadn't had those things, I don't know how I would have made it through that. And I wonder how many people end up 
homeless or dead because they didn't have, like, they didn't have the space that I had to get better. And how many of the people that we maybe judge because they're homeless and we maybe call them lazy, how many people, how many people like that are just me without the opportunity that I had? That's true. I mean, I feel like that's a different issue, though. We got to. Yeah. Sorry. Help about society. No, that's cool. Um, Another piece of advice that I give to people that I know and love that are thinking about starting therapy is that you can customize it. We've talked before about how a listener told us that they brought a clip from our podcast to therapy because there was something that they just could not put into words correctly because of trauma and the way that we explained it was accurate to their That was one of our earliest episodes, too. That was way, that was way back then. That was over a year ago. I wouldn't suggest that you rely on that. Um... But that's one tool that you can use. And we not only totally support that, but we feel honored that we can maybe help you out with something. You can also, you know, use other tools, other different types of media. You can just tell stories and the therapist, like there have been times where I just like went in and, okay, well, I've got these stories I want to tell you and they're bothering me and I can't figure out why. And I was able to just tell these stories and my therapist would help me put the pieces together and figure out why these stories are connected and why they're all kind of bothering me as a set. That's just That may just be my thing, though. If I'm feeling triggered by something or bothered by a memory that keeps popping up, I'm feeling this way because of this thing that's bothering me, and I know why it's bothering me, so I understand why I'm feeling these feelings that I don't like feeling. Like we said earlier, of course, this is expensive, Although it is usually very heavily subsidized by health insurance, if you are lucky enough to have that. So if your issue is access, um, I know that there are people who live in, there just are not a lot of therapists in their area. Um, Or some people like, some people need a specific type of therapist, like they need a queer therapist or they need a poly informed therapist or they need a, a, a cult and religion informed therapist. And that just isn't accessible in their area. If that's you, I've never used online therapy like uh, BetterHelp or like other online-based companies, but during the pandemic, I've been doing therapy on video, like video chat with my regular therapist, and I feel like that's been good, so maybe that's something that you could try. Yeah, I don't know. I Personally, I feel like I would absolutely not trust therapy that they have ads for on Instagram. You know, like with a WeWork aesthetic, because I'm just imagining therapists like sitting in a call center, like tech support or like telemarketing. You know what I'm saying? That, I don't I'm, think that's how they do it. That's just, I don't know. That's just what I'm expecting. I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of like lawyers. You know, my, my dad always told me that if a lawyer has an advertisement, then they're not a good enough lawyer and you shouldn't use them. I feel like therapists is the same thing. Like, would you go to a doctor that you saw an ad for like that doctor? No, you absolutely would not. God, if they were the only doctor, yeah, I sure would. They were the only doctor and my appendix was rupturing and I needed surgery to not die. You know, I'd rather Dr. Nick take out my appendix and maybe get it right and not die than just die from a ruptured appendix. Sure. I mean, but that like, that's like if they're the only one. That's like, but that's exactly what I'm saying though. Like for some people, those are their only option. I guess. Okay. That makes sense. If, If you are in that bad of a spot with your mental health, it is totally okay to use an option that's not the best to keep you alive and keep you okay while you research better options. Uh, I was able to turn up a couple like non-app-based companies like this one. I wasn't able to really fully vet these services, but there seem to be so many out there right now that I would be optimistic about that. And I would rather somebody, I would rather somebody do that kind of therapy 
until they can find something that's a better fit or until they can find something that's more ideal. Usually at most points in my life been privileged enough to have access through health insurance to a therapist, but I have found some options for people who don't have that. If you don't know if your insurance covers therapy, one thing you can try is asking your PCP if you have one. You can also call your insurance outright and asking. And if calling on the phone is problematic for you, I have found, (laughs) conveniently, like 90% of stuff can be done online or by email now, which is way easier for me. And also, depending on your state, you may be able to get partially or heavily or maybe even fully covered through Medicaid. Because that's sort of the problem. One of the problems that we have is that if you have... If you're doing well, then you probably have insurance that's going to cover it. And if you're not doing great, then you could get it on Medicaid. But if you're like kind of okay, then you're kind of screwed. Yeah, if you're kind of okay, but but like the okayness could end at any time. Right. Yeah, you get put in like this pressure cooker situation where it's like, okay, well, as long as I don't break my arm or have a mental health crisis, I'm good. But if either one of those things happens... My life is over. Oh, I wanted to say something about Medicaid. If signing up, if you need to sign up for it and it's an executive dysfunction issue for you, there are people who can walk you through the process and help you get signed up. It may be possible for this to be a a one-time thing, not a whole bunch of paperwork that you have to do over a large amount of time. I know here in Portland, there are walk-in places downtown, like Central City Concern. What's the other one? Cascadia will do it, I think. There's another, there's one other. Sign up online too. You could just go in online, enter all your information. They'll tell you if you qualify. And some people really struggle with paperwork because of um, different executive dysfunction stuff. So there are places in Portland where you can just walk in and somebody will do it with you. Yeah. I struggle with paperwork because I don't have a shredder and all of this paperwork ends up with my personal information on it and I don't know what to do with it. So I just have like uh, boxes and boxes of old papers under my bed. Oh man. Yeah. We have a shredder. You can. I, I think Jonathan would let you use his shredder okay. if you need to. So if insurance, though, if insurance isn't an option, dug up a couple other things that people can look into if they feel like therapy would really help them and they just feel like they don't have access. Check if your employer or school offers therapy resources. I'm in online college right now, and even through that, there is access to free mental health resources. I, like, I'm, not, I'm not like in college online. I'm in a college that operates online. Uh, yeah. That is accredited, unlike Patriot University. <laughs> if you're in high school or college in person, there is almost certainly an office that can connect you with free or very low cost therapy. Our old employer wasn't known for being the absolute best. No, they were known for being like second from the worst. You know how the second cheapest wine is the one you want to order? Yeah. It, they're like a second worst employer. Like, <laughs> yeah, but but did you know that even they had uh, free therapy resources through the company website? It, it it is amazing. Even if you think your job's not going to have it, they very well might. Because they might be legally required to have it, and they'll like do it begrudgingly. I think it's also ironic because that company was absolutely run by the type of person who would say, who would be like, "Oh, you're in therapy." Like, you know yes. what I'm saying? No, you you know who I'm talking about. No, oh, that yeah. guy. Um, I had another friend uh, who apparently was told him that she was on a SNAP benefits, and he was like appalled. Is this a person with like the the Botox and the plugs, or is this the other guy? This is the guy with the Botox and the plugs. Oh yeah, that makes more sense. Okay. Anyway. Even if you think that your workplace isn't, there's no way they're going to have this, you should still look into it because they, they still may be able to give you 
free or very low cost therapy through your work. If you live in a college town, there may be graduate students who are earning a master's degree in a therapy-related field who need to see people and do sessions as coursework for their degrees. And those programs can often have like a sliding scale payment option and be really inexpensive. Just to give you an example, Portland State University is here in Portland. I googled PSU therapist training clinic, and the first thing that came up was the website and phone number for a clinic run by PSU. Uh, sessions are fifteen dollars. Wait, so you can go in and get like a, a somebody who's in training though. Uh, somebody who is doing a master, currently doing a master's degree, not a bachelor's, and who is reporting to somebody who has the full certification. If you are, if you go into a session like that and you are in serious crisis and need immediate help, they can go get their professor or whoever it is that they're reporting to. Yeah, or they can ask them for help. Another option, if you go to a church that's not IFB, say you've gotten out and you go to a Southern Baptist, non-denominational, whatever, you can ask your pastor. At this point, I have seen too much. I would never recommend seeing a pastor for mental health issues ever. Um, Not trying to tell you what to do. I know some pastors who I do trust as human beings and are good people. I would never recommend that you see them for anything mental health related. And those people that I'm referencing would say the same thing as well. But if you do really trust your pastor, maybe they can connect you to a therapist. Maybe there's a therapist who attends your church and they could refer you to a colleague um, who could do sessions at a price that you can handle. I mean, it's just like how most lawyers, you know, if they're like a high price lawyer, they'll also be doing like pro bono work. Yes, exactly like that. All that being said, there may be some reason that you just can't get to traditional therapy or it just does not work for you right now. I think people like me who have been helped by therapy a lot, we tend to treat other people like if they're not in therapy, they're not serious about their mental health. We treat it like it's the only way to get better. And I don't, I just don't want to fall into that trap. Uh, I made an objectively extremely funny joke about Brene Brown in the it last episode. It was objectively <laughs> extremely funny. That was a great joke. It was a great um, joke. Somebody finally commented on the Facebook page to say it was a good joke. And I was like, oh, thank goodness somebody got it. But really, her books have helped a lot of people. Um, you could look up books like hers that are commonly recommended by therapists, read some back covers, and see if there's one you think would appeal to you. There are YouTube channels where therapists talk. There are tons of TikTok videos that are therapy related, but that is free. There aren't even ads. <laughs> It's not going to have the same effect as a personalized therapy session, but if you find a style of videos that really appeals to you, there's no reason that it can't have a good effect on you. Uh, Meditation and journaling have really helped me as well. Uh, From people that I know, people who have been traumatized, I think 99% of us need to vent. There is is a, a legitimate group of people who do not want to talk about it, and that is fine and okay, but I think a lot of us need to tell someone all of the terrible details. We need to express what happened and get it out. For a lot of us, if we don't express that trauma, it is eventually going to come out in a in a destructive way, one way or another. If talking to a therapist isn't an option or just isn't a good option for you, writing it down or telling a friend, uh, if you have someone who's consented to do that interaction with you, that can help you get it all off your chest. And if there's a style of meditation that works for you that can help you work through it, that's something that you can do if, for whatever reason, therapy is not a good option for you. Mm-hmm. Of course, I have to shout out our friends over at Vashti Initiative. They do not provide therapy, but they have peer mentorship groups. 
if you're a cult survivor or an abuse survivor, you can be matched with a mentor through them who is not a therapist, but has been through things that are similar to you and may be able to suggest more resources and more help that I wouldn't even know about. I know that some of our listeners volunteer with them, which is fantastic. Yeah. So there's that's that's a really long list, but I hope that that'll give some resources to people who need an alternative option. Oh, absolutely. And thanks for providing the list of those resources. That's really good. Do you have, do you have any final things that you want to say to wrap this one up? I, do, I think I just want to encourage people that there are ways to be okay. I think that, and I've alluded to this a couple times in this episode, I think that we've fallen into a bit of a rut where, oh, you're messed up, you got to get therapy. And I don't want to undersell the potential good that therapy can do for people. I hope that sharing my experiences has helped people get a a really solid idea of how this can really help and how this can help you put your life back together and how this can help you recover from really terrible things. But I don't want to give the impression that this is the only way to help yourself and the only way to get better. The big thing that I always want to say to people who are early in the deconstruction process or leaving a cult or leaving abuse or whatever it is that you're leaving is that there are many avenues to being okay and that it is it is a lot of work and it may take a really long time but there is there is a world there is a there is a possibility for you being okay and for you being happy and for you having a life that is way closer to what it is that you want and i hope that something that we've said in this episode has given you an idea of how to find that yeah, I'm definitely with it. And I feel like mental health, you know, you hear people talk about it as like the hot button issue of the, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? People are like, we need to talk about mental health. And then they don't say anything about it, but it's just yes. like, we need to talk about it. And then like, okay, what do you want to say about it? What I need to say about it is that we need to talk about it. I, and, but, but I think nobody really wants to be vulnerable with that. And I don't mind doing that. So I try to do my part. Right. Because it's it's not fair to expect everybody just to have all their stuff out in the open. Because it's it's valid and legitimate if that's not something that you want to do. But I think that you know, I try to I try to do my part because it's something that I can. No, that's that's fair. I think that also one thing that I want to say is that if you have issues with with this whole thing where, you know, say you were in the situation where you f- are afraid of therapy because it's too similar to the weird counseling thing that was like kind of like therapy, but also like a police mm-hmm. interrogation. Like Sadie said, there are options out there for you. And so that I think is the, the important point to, to leave off of um, Sadie. Oh, do you want to plug your social media before we wrap this one up? Oh, yeah, sure. I think we're at that point. <laughs> where we can... Well, I can barely talk anymore. My voice is going out. So I think we are definitely at that point. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can find me on Twitter at Hell yeah, Sadie. Bachelor season, well, Bachelor in Paradise season is officially over. And I don't think I'm going to watch Michelle Young's season live. So you should be safe from Bachelor-related content. You can follow me now. Uh, you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter 1. 
And you can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast, on Twitter at Leaving Eden Pod. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.